we live in a dark world. A world that is dark morally, a world that is dark socially, a world that is dark politically, a world that is dark philosophically, a world that is dark even religiously. We live in a dark world, and I'm talking spiritually. We live in a world that is spiritually dark, and a world which uh, John, in his first epistle, chapter 5, and uh, verse 19, says this, the whole world lies in the wicked one, or the whole world is under the power of the wicked one, of the devil, of Satan. Now this is a situation which explains the darkness, because uh, we read again in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that the God of this world, which is another title for Satan, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God should shine upon them. Then, of course, he goes on to say the verse that was our uh, verse of the year last year. But God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, as we, as we look out on a new year, as we face up to the fact that this new year could be darker than the last one in all those ways that I have mentioned. As we do that, it is such a relief, such a joy, such a strength, such an encouragement that as we look at the dark world, we can turn aside and look to Christ who is the light of this world. And I want us to explore this morning what it really means that Jesus is the light of the world. And we can help ourselves by turning back to the first chapter of John, the, the passage we read earlier on. <clears throat> and I'll remind you of the opening words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made. Uh, and in him was life, and life was the light of men, of people. So when Jesus says, I am the light, he means I am the one who illuminates. I am the one who opens those darkened 
minds, I am the one who gives light to those who put their trust in me. And, and that is a very wonderful thing because uh, that verse I quoted from 2 Corinthians 4, it says, <clears throat> God has shined into our, our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Light is, is really a metaphor, a picture. It's a picture of knowledge. The light shining in our hearts gives to us a knowledge of God. To, to those who trust in Christ, the others' mind, other people's minds are still darkened, they're still blinded. But to those whose hearts and minds God has opened by his gracious Holy Spirit, uh, there is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And to know the glory of God is to know God in all his, his wonder, in all his purity, in all his holiness, in all his graciousness. And, and that is something that is really quite amazing, that you and I, through trusting in Christ, can know God. And that knowledge of God is not just a theological knowledge, just a, not just a, a theoretical knowledge, not even just a biblical knowledge. It is an experienced knowledge, an experimental knowledge. So that Paul can say in Romans 8 and in Galatians also, uh, he can say that, that the Spirit of God has come into our hearts. God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word they would use for Daddy, the familiar expression of a child greeting its father. Daddy, Daddy. The knowledge that the believer has, that the true believer has of God, is, is a theoretical knowledge, it is a theological knowledge, we know about God, but knowing about someone is not, not enough. You need to know the person. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. I know a lot about Her Majesty the Queen, and I could know a lot more if I read biologies and histories and other things that told me about uh, the Queen. But I don't know the Queen. I've never met her. She doesn't know I exist. Perhaps if I reach 100, she'll send me a telegram to congratulate me, but uh, even then it won't be her who sends it. She doesn't know me. I don't know her, even though I know a lot about her. Now it's possible uh, for people who think they are Christians to know a great deal about God. But that's not what we're talking about. Uh, Christ has shined the, into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God. And to know God is to know him 
personally, to be able to say spontaneously, as it were, Abba, Father, to address him as Father, to treat him as our Heavenly Father, although he is still our almighty and all-pure and all-holy God. That is a wonderful thing. And it is something we ought to be truly grateful for. And it brings such comfort to our hearts. Paul again, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God gives us comfort. By his Holy Spirit, he gives us strength, spiritual strength, mental strength. By his providence, he looks after us, he cares for us, provides for us. Do you know God? Do you know God as your Father? Has the light of the knowledge of the glory of God dawned in your hearts? It can do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth, uh, Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess Christ with your mouth and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you, you will be saved. Are you saved? Be saved. Trust Christ. But notice that the Lord Jesus doesn't simply say, I am the light of believers. I am the light of the church. I am the light of those who, who believe uh, in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not limited. He says, I am the light of the world. And that means something additional that I think is seldom recognized. Because if you look back in the first chapter of John, you'll see that after talking about Christ, the light who shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, he goes on, there was a man sent from God uh, whose name was John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now that verse, verse 9, it gives rise to uh, two significant difficulties of interpretation. Now, the first one we can dispose of, I think, quite easily, because the words was coming into the, the world uh, could grammatically apply either to Christ or to the every man, every person. You see, he was, he was the light who was coming into the world uh, and gives light to everyone. Some versions uh, in the English language of the Bible actually 
write it as if the, the coming into the world refers to everyone. Now, everyone does come into the world through birth, of course, but we don't really need to be told that, do we? And the reason why I think the ESV here gets it right, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, saying that this coming into the world refers to Christ. The reason why that has to be the correct interpretation or the correct translation is that this passage is all about Christ coming into the world. It's all about the incarnation of God the Son. <clears throat> the Word was made flesh and lived among us. He came. He didn't belong here. He didn't originate on earth. He came from heaven uh, as the Word of God, and he came and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh. Also in this passage, I means the Son of God became and took upon himself the form of a man and the nature of a man, sin apart. So these passages is only and all about Christ coming into the world. This is the thing that really excites the Apostle John as he writes these words. He is trying to get us to see the wonder and the amazing truth, the almost unbelievable reality that God, the eternal Son of God, God is a triune God, the three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son came into the world and became a man. And he came, as he said himself, to seek and to save those who were lost. This is, this is overflowing in the heart of the apostle as he writes these things. He says, behold the wonder of this fact that Almighty God, the creator of all things, should come and take on the form of a man in order to save us from our sin and to reconcile us to a holy God. And John wants us to be just as excited about that reality as he is himself. Well, that's the first difficulty uh, disposed of. Coming into the world refers to Christ and not to every man. But there is uh, a greater difficulty because the ESV, this is our church Bible, translates it in this way. The true light which gives light to everyone. Well, just a minute. How can Christ give light to everyone? When he walked this earth, there were only a few people, a small nation, who ever knew anything about Christ. There were people living in China or South America or wherever it was, never heard of him. They had no access to the Old Testament scriptures, which testify of Christ, of course. It's impossible for Christ 
to give light to everyone. And even today there are thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, who have never heard of Christ, who have never read the Bible, or if they have some knowledge of Christ as having existed, they have no interest in him. They don't believe in him. And, and it's not possible for Christ to give light to everyone. He never has done and he never will do. So how are we to understand this? Well, the secret lies in the fact that the Bible languages, both Hebrew and Greek, New Testament Greek, are languages with a very small vocabulary relative to English. And so very often you find one word in the Greek or in the Hebrew for that matter has to serve a range of purposes, has to have a range of meanings, usually related meanings, but not the same meaning. And if you look up the uh, concordance, strongest concordance, you'll find there are seven different uh, translations of this verb, which is translated here, give light. And this is not the right one. <laughs> that word can mean to illuminate, uh, to enlighten, uh, to show, but it can also mean to expose or uncover something that has previously been hidden. And I believe this is the meaning here. Christ does not give light to everyone, but what he does is to expose, he exposes the sin of everyone. He unveils the true nature of fallen humanity. He's not giving light to everyone. He's shedding light upon everyone so that they are seen as being what they are in reality, sinners and rebels against God. There's an illustration that you may have heard used before. I think it's very helpful at this point. Suppose you go out for a walk in the countryside, let's say the Lake District, and you look up on the hillsides, the lower slopes of the hills, and you see lots of brilliant white objects, the sheep feeding. They stand out brilliantly white, especially if the sun is shining, against the background of green pasture or, or grey rock. And you say, what, what a wonderful sight, all those beautiful white sheep. Well, the next day, there's a heavy snowfall. And you go out for a walk again in the same place, and you look up on the hills, and you see a lot of dirty grey objects. They're sheep. They looked pure white the day before against the background they had then. But 
when you put in place a pure white background, you see them for what they are. They are gray, they are dirty. They need a wash, if you like. And, and that, that's what John, I think, is trying to get across here, that, that Christ sheds light on the true nature of all humanity and demonstrates that compared with himself, they come short of the glory of God. He, he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God here, there signifies the perfect life that Christ lived, perfect human life that Christ lived while he was here upon earth. And in comparison with him, then we are seen to be, we are shown to be sinners. All have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's expectations because even if we're religious, even if we read our Bibles and say our prayers, until we are enlightened by the Spirit of God, until we are brought out of darkness into light by the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts, until we trust in Christ, we are enemies of God. But if we do trust in Christ, then there is a transforming work performed. Second point is the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light of this world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness. Although the world is in darkness, the one who follows me will not walk, will not live in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that life is something that God alone imparts. You see, Romans 3, verse 23, as I half quoted, uh, is in fact not the full statement. Let me read it to you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's not a full stop at that point. He goes on and he says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned, every one of us. No human being born into this world is without sin. We are inheriting uh, a nature from our first father Adam who rebelled against God. Now we're all sinners before God. Indeed, you read on in Romans 5, you'll see we are all enemies of God. Even if you go to church and read your Bible, even if you say prayers to God, until, until that transforming work of salvation has been performed in your heart, you are an enemy of God. Because you're serving your own purposes, you're not serving God. But when God in grace and mercy comes into our hearts, then something changes. All have sinned and come short 
of the glory of God, and then he's referring to those who do trust in Christ and are justified by his grace as a gift. Uh, justified by grace as a gift. Now, let's be clear what we mean by justified. Justification is a declaration by God that we are righteous. Even though we're still sinners, he looks upon us as righteous, as altogether without sin. And the only reason he can do that is that he laid our sins upon Jesus on the cross. So that Jesus bore our sins. He was made sin for us. The one who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's an exchange. Christ bears our sin so that we might wear his righteousness. That is the gospel. You see, we don't become righteous in the sight of God by doing good works. No way. Because our good works are never good enough. They're never perfect. All our righteousnesses, Isaiah writes, are like filthy rags. We can never achieve righteousness in the sight of God. God is utterly holy, beyond our comprehension. He dwells in unapproachable light, we're told. We can never please him by our good works. And that is why Jesus came. He came to save those that were lost, those that were in darkness, by taking their sin, our sin, upon himself when he died upon the cross, and in exchange, giving us his righteousness, imputing, we say, imputing his righteousness to us. So that we're no longer enemies of God, we are now the children of God. Because of what Christ has done, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The work of Christ upon the cross and his resurrection are satisfactions, if you like, to God for our sin. And that enables us to enter into the light of life and to walk in that light. Time is is going and uh, I can't elaborate too much upon that but if you just turn over the page to Romans chapter 5 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace this, this kindness, this undeserved goodness from God in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here are the benefits flowing from the work of Christ. First of all, peace with God. We're no longer at war with God. We're at peace with God. We're no longer enemies of God. We are children of God. 
And he goes on to say, we also rejoice in the hope, the expectation of heaven, of glory. And there's so much else in this passage we don't have time to look at. He also says we would glory also in, in trouble, in tribulation. What? Glory in tribulation? Rejoice in tribulation? Oh, yes, he said, because tribulation works patience, and patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope does not make ashamed because the Holy Spirit is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God dwells in the believer. Well, that brings me to my last point, and I'll deal with it very briefly. First point was the light of the world. Second point, the light of life. Third point is the life of light. Second point was the light of life. And he that follows me shall have the light of life. Third point is the life of light. In other words, as we go to Matthew, uh, the passage we read from Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are to shine. We are to reflect the light, the beauty of Christ to those around us. We are to perform good works in such a way as they work out what God has gloriously done within us. And you say, well, what, what good works shall I do? What must I do? Um, I, I can't tell you that. What I can tell you is that a good work is defined by the motive in which it is performed. Uh, two, two, two people can do exactly the same good work. They can go visit somebody who's sick. A Christian can do that, and a non-Christian can do that. In one sense, they're both performing the same good work. But the Christian does it for a different reason. The Christian does it for the glory of God. The unbeliever does it, well, who knows what reason, to feel good, perhaps that they've done something good, or just out of ordinary human compassion. That's good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All I'm saying is <clears throat> what God regards as good works are those works which are done by the followers of Christ for the glory of God. Well, I'm going to finish there. There's so much more that can be said. We've actually covered a great deal of ground.